like some of the companies like are obviously you can tell are going to be successful and others you're like this is bound for failure. His original tweet was a little strongly worded. Most of the things that other companies are sending you are kind of empty threats and more of like political gangs. For us, we're one of the paddles that are like at the center of attention regarding that because we were one of the first ones to use thermoforming. In our new batches with our new designs, we've changed and that pretty much alleviated pretty much 100% of delamination issues. What defines a legal paddle? You know, there's a lot of talk about that. At what point does the sport like become too dangerous? There are paddles out there that are legitimately dangerous to play with. Regarding the technology with pickleball paddles, I think there's a very common misconception. What are the goals of a 25-year-old founding a business in the fastest growing sport right now? Affordability, quality, donations. Speaking of affordability, how much do you think a top-of-the-line pickleball paddle should cost? So if you take a look at the prices, how is Vatic Pro able to lower their costs compared to their competitors? Look, I hear it all the time, right? Manufacturing in China and needing to bring it into the States. But what happens when you have someone who can leverage the relationship with China and see it as an opportunity rather than an obstacle? Could you imagine facing legal action at the age of 25 years old right after you just founded your business? So what can we learn from a young individual who's quickly on his way to becoming a top brand in the sport? How many 25 year olds can you think of that has started a brand that's already profitable less than a year in? while launching a product that customers are raving about. Daryl Wang, the founder of Vatic Pro, responds to the tweets from the number one player, reveals the big advantage they have over competitors, resolving the latest paddle issues, and how the loss of someone close to him at an early age has affected his outlook on life. And stick around for the paddle giveaway that I'm gonna announce in this video. Hey, what's going on everyone? Welcome to another episode of Building Pickleball. This is the founder series where I'm interviewing founders and uncovering their story, going over different challenges, setbacks and highlights, and really just trying to understand who's behind that brand and that company. And my guest today is Daryl Wang. He is the founder of Vatic Pro, is one of the more popular paddle brands on the market right now. As far as his background, he went to NYU, majored in finance and global business, left with an NCAA All-American Honors. He holds the NYU swimming and diving record, and he has a background in investment banking and is the founder of Edmax. Thanks for joining me today, Daryl. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Um, thanks for having me and I'm excited for uh, to talk about some of these things. Yeah, for sure, man. I was like, we were talking about this before and I just don't have, I tried to do my research and I couldn't find a mm -hmm. lot on you. So uh, yeah, this is going to be a fun one. Yeah, this is going to be um, my first one of these. So there's a lot of tea to be spilled. So just stay tuned. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, what's important for me to know about your childhood that made you who you are today? Yeah, I think um, the most important thing about my childhood is I pretty much grew up in an environment where I was encouraged to kind of push my limits. Um, I didn't have very strict parents at all. They kind of encouraged me to pursue what I was good at. And in my childhood, that happened to be swimming. So I was encouraged to, you know, go out there, um, pretty much push myself to the limit. Like, I didn't have to worry too much about school. So I was able to pour 100% of my time in a swimming um, because my parents kind of understood that um, there's no point in beating a dead horse, you know, like kids are good at what they're good at. Like 
um, if you have trouble, you know, concentrating in school or something like that, there's no need to like force them to do something that they're not good at. So um, eventually I'm glad it worked out. I swam since I was probably eight years old and managed to make it to the collegiate level. So um, that's pretty much like the summation of my childhood and like the philosophy that my parents had. What do your parents do? Um, yeah, so my dad is currently retired, but um, he spent the majority of his career um, in the manufacturing business, working with several American companies and helping them like manage logistics um, from China to the U.S. And then my mother was an accountant. Uh, is it a coincidence that your dad has a manufacturing background and then you've got in, gotten into pickleball? Um, it's definitely not a coincidence. Like, um, so my dad and I worked together for Vatic Pro. Um, I was kind of the one that started, but the sense he was retired and, you know, he just wanted to help me out. Uh, he's been kind of integral in some of that regard. So I'm sure we'll get into more of that later on. Yeah, that's awesome. I feel like, I mean, as long as everything is good, as far as like the relationship between you and your parents, as far as when it comes to business, it's pretty ideal to be working with someone who you already have that trust that's developed and your parents aren't like trying to sabotage your business either. Yeah. Who you work with is definitely um, a very big part in whether you succeed or not, like having good business partners. Um, no one succeeds alone in this industry or any industry rather. So I'm also very thankful that, you know, I get to spend time with my dad. Um, we work together very closely. So um, it's really a blessing. Yeah. I'm sure like later on, that's going to be something that you'll definitely look back on. It's mm -hmm. such a rare thing to go to work with your parents. Was your mom in all this? She just stay away? <laughs> um, no. So um, a few years ago, my mom had actually passed away um, from cancer. So um, since then, it's just been me and my dad. And then we kind of just went all out with this thing. Damn. Sorry to hear that, man. Uh, lost my dad in 2015. It was like a hiking accident. Mm. Um, how do you think that has impacted the way you live your life now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's definitely um, significantly impacted um, the way that I approach my life and as well as my career. So just in life, you know, I try to prioritize my health. You know, I'm very fortunate that I'm working in, a, in the sports industry where I have the chance to be active every day, you know, play pickleball, which is good for us. Um, but then professionally, I think it really kind of altered my career trajectory. So when I was in college, you know, I was going to business school at NYU and like the most common route that people pursue is either some sort of investment banking, consulting, you know, that um, typical corporate route. And that's where I was headed because, you know, um, as a young Asian American, I really wanted to make my parents proud um, since they didn't have the opportunity to go to college in the U.S. Um, so I was really pursuing that like, you know, path. Um, but I wasn't the best student, didn't have the best GPA. Um, so recruiting for investment banking was tough, but um, uh, my junior year, my mom passed away and I was thinking, you know, like maybe there is more to life than, you know, a corporate job, which is something that I had experience in, but like it wasn't, you know, the best use of all of my strengths, I would say. So I had a like good look at myself after I graduated. And then um, I also wanted to be close to home. So, or with my dad rather. And at that time, that's when I founded ED Max. So um, originally, I was in a different industry. The original, the company that I have, ED Max, was originally focused on education consulting. Um, so my dad was living in China at the time, and I had this business idea where I was working with um, international students 
and helping them apply to graduate programs and undergraduate programs in the U.S. So pretty much the whole consulting process from like picking schools, um, drafting materials, interview prep, all that stuff. So pretty different than what I'm doing now. But that was my first, you know, entrepreneurial experience. And it was actually quite successful. And then so that's kind of where the story changes, because I had just moved to China, I was doing it remotely for a while after I graduated, and then moved from New York to China. The first week I was in Shanghai was January of 2020. So um, there were like whispers of COVID. Um, no one in America knew what it was at the time. So no one in China even knew this was before the Wuhan thing, there were whispers and like, Chinese groups that, um, hey, there's this disease going around. And then um, no one knew the severity or like the full scale of this thing. But um, my dad and I didn't want to take that risk. So we hopped on a flight the next day and flew back to LA. And then um, we were just waiting for it to unfold rather. And then uh, we all know what happens after that, like pretty much the entire time after that. It's just it was just COVID like full blown the whole thing. And I've never been back to China since until recently. Were you back at China for business? Yeah. So um, we were actually there last week um, for partially for business, partially for family. Um, I usually go there pretty often. We were um, visiting factories, looking at the manufacturing process, meeting the owners of the factory and pretty much just talking business um, like the usual stuff. Uh, can't disclose too much, but it's cool to be able to see how the paddles are made. Um, there's a lot of paddle brands going around. I don't think many have actually, you know, witnessed the process itself from start to finish. Um, it would probably change a lot of perspectives if the customers and the manufacturers knew um, exactly what was going on in there. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely no like accident why the top brands are the way they are. Um, and you hear, I've heard that quite frequently so far. It's uh, even with like six zero, it's like a, taking a close look at manufacturing and looking at, um, not only just design, but manufacturing and how to like foster those relationships. What benefits would you say you have being able to have that, like the dialogue being coming from a Chinese background and then also, um, just having like connections out there. Yeah. So I think the <clears throat> benefit of being. Uh, having my dad with me, him being um, in the manufacturing industry for so long and being a native Chinese speaker, it's it's something that you can almost not even quantify because it benefits us so much. So I would say the number one thing is that we don't use an agent. Every company basically that you see, I would say like over 90%, they're all working through an agent, like an Alibaba agent or an Amazon agent or someone who acts as a middleman between them and the factory because a factory owner can't speak basic English. Like they only know Chinese um, and they're often from like in rural areas. So just to order products itself, um, you need to go through an agent. And with that comes a pretty significant fee because the agents have to make a living, right? And then so they're charging a small percentage of each paddle um, or a percentage of each order. And naturally that affects your margins. So I think that's one of the main reasons why we're able to be the price leader in thermoform paddles and then also the new paddle that we're coming out with. Um, we've always prided ourselves on kind of changing the way pickleball is perceived from a price perspective. And I think that um, having this experience and kind of my Chinese background plays a large role into that. Ever since I started this thing, 
There's been incredible amounts of support and I've yet to do a giveaway. I just wanna be able to say thank you to everyone who's supported me, the people who have viewed the videos, who have liked, commented and subscribed to the channel. It means a lot. It helps with the YouTube algorithm. It's very, very helpful. I'm not just asking for it for vanity metrics, um, but yeah, it makes me really excited that I can be able to give back to you guys. I'm sorry I don't have like 700 of these. I quit my full-time job, so I'm basically broke. And so what I got here is a Blair Mach 1, very graceful. I will keep this wrapped so it stays in good condition because if I take this out, we might not ever see it again. Oh yeah, and you get a wristband. And also, love this part, you get the signature Julian Arnold push button. Doesn't work right now because there are no batteries in it, but I promise when you get it, it'll work. And if it doesn't, well, you bring it up to Ryan. All right, so looks like we have an extra butt cap for Volair, Volair stickers. So all you gotta do is comment on the video with one thing that you learned, screenshot your comment with your username in there, and then DM the Building Pickleball Instagram account. And then from there, I'll select a winner. I'll select someone by the next video, and I'll probably just announce who that winner was in that video too. And no, this paddle is not delaminated. There's definitely a shared sentiment there with a couple founders I've talked to. Uh, Joey B from the Pickleball Exchange is one of them. As far as just making things like affordable, he tells a story about someone walking into the store and like needing to go into debt just to buy a certain paddle. I won't say which one it is, but just paddles are getting kind of expensive and it's all kind of like contextual based on whoever your whatever your income is. But we don't want the sport to end up like I think I can speak to kind of like snowboarding, like mm -hmm. for a day pass for snowboarding it could be up to like a hundred dollars. And then the gear itself, if you want something decent, it could be like $500. Like the price for gear shouldn't really be the barrier to entry. Ideally. I, I, that's what I think. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think um, the, the notion right now is that pickleball is kind of a sport for like, where the existing population was kind of like retired, somewhat wealthy individuals. But um, if you want to see the growth that we're all forecasting for this sport, it definitely has to spread into um, more like lower income areas, which is something that like we've kind of addressed. So um, I've worked to, you know, set up um, a donation channel for all paddles, um, either that are unsellable or ones that we get back and they're all donated to um low-income urban areas so that more people can have exposure to the sport just like in any way that i can i think affordability in of itself is like um kind of a big issue which is like one of the things that i ran into when i first started or when i first started playing and i saw it was an issue um i also didn't realize not i realized but like um we have this payment plan kind of thing you know shopify has a firm where you can pay in installments for your paddles and it just shows that, you know, people are kind of loving this sport and they want to have the best gear, but everyone might not have the means to do so. So it offers another option for people to kind of pay in plans so um, that way they can have the best quality materials or gear and not worry too much about, you know, paying up front. Can people donate to the channel that you've created or are you just kind of doing this on your own with uh, Vatic Paddles? Um, I'm pretty much doing it. Um, myself with Vatic Paddles at the moment. So um, I haven't had the time to expand it further, 
which is something um, I really want to do. I've been speaking with some people about it. Um, so hopefully that'll be in the works in the near future. Yeah, definitely. Um, where did the name Vatic Pro come from? Yeah, so a lot of people ask me that. Um, it's not as complex as one might think. So I, when I was looking for a brand name, I just wanted something that was kind of clean, short. And at the time, I was looking for a word that started with the letter V because I thought that it would make for a cool logo. Um, so then I was looking like basically Googling words that start with V and Vatic caught my eye. And then you also want something that, you know, has an open domain so you can create a website and go from there because those are like the first steps in starting a business. And then Vatic just stood out and it has a, it actually has a meaning that not many people know. It's an English word. It just means like being able to predict the future. Yeah. I didn't, honestly, I didn't know <laughs> yeah. it was even a word before I, like scheduled this interview i looked it up and i was like oh shit vatic that i didn't know that's an actual word it's sweet word how did your background in like investment banking and global business how has that affected what you're doing now mm -hmm. yeah so my education is definitely something that um, i credit a lot of my success towards um i think first and foremost it kind of gives me the confidence that i can you know approach challenges you know based on my education from NYU, where there's a lot of like collaboration, there's a lot of like small projects that you're working on that you don't realize at the time, but they translate very well into the real world. Maybe not so much of like the number stuff or like these accounting classes, but other than that, like to be a successful business owner, you kind of have to be a jack of all trades. Like I have to know how to do every single thing that is involved in creating a business. So that also plays a little bit into my experience as an investment banker. I worked with, um, so I worked in the ECM side, like helping raise capital for some smaller companies. And I worked with a lot of owners of small businesses. So like when you're sitting in meeting rooms, like some of the companies like are obviously you can tell are going to be successful and others you're like, this is bound for failure. So just being able to kind of see what the good companies are doing well and what others are not doing well. Um, I think kind of subconsciously, those are takeaways that I implement into my own business. Um, just being able to kind of combat any challenges because like every day is, you know, you don't know what's going to come through your inbox or like someone's going to make a tweet or something like that. And then um, just got to go from there. So I think my education and my experience, like even though they were, um, I didn't work in investment banking that long. I think it's part of the reason why Vatic has become successful. You mentioned one word that stuck out was the tweet. Uh, of course, this was probably, you knew this was going to come up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. just, just the thoughts on Ben Johns making that tweet about the delamination claims and um, breaking the rules or finding like a loophole against the rules that USAP sent, uh, set. Yeah. Um, I kind of understand like his frustration in a sense because he's like the number one player in the world, you know, and um, his only concern really is to perform at the highest level. And if there are people, you know, using delaminated paddles, it's, uh, it's a clear advantage. You know, if you've ever played against one or like seen one in the wild or even watching pro play, um, there are some shots that I don't think like should be possible on a pickleball court. Um, I don't think delamination is good for the game at all. Um, his original tweet was a little strongly worded, I will say, but um, I know that he didn't me like mean to come off as like very attacking in any regard. So um, there's no quarrels there. I think um, 
people are looking to extract any drama from any tweet these days. And especially since he's the number one player, like people are going to be all over it. But I think um, big picture, um, it's something that we can all use to like make the sport a better place. On that subject, there's definitely little like legal tiffs going around between the top brands uh, between each other. There's like cease and desist out. Uh, do you have any opinions or thoughts on that? Yeah, so um, the cease and desist are kind of normal these days. Um, when I first started the business, I was kind of like, you know, just fresh and didn't know like anything about more of the legal aspects of business. Well, I knew, but like, I just, I took it very seriously, you know, because um, I, once you like kind of work in this industry, you realize that most of the things that other companies are sending you are kind of empty threats and more of like political games rather than actual, you know, cease and desist letters that are like, they're going to send their lawyers at you and like go to court because I don't think that makes sense for anyone, especially over very trivial issues. So my understanding or like what I believe is that pickleball is like a very simple sport. The paddles are extremely simple like there's not too much technology in them at all and there most definitely isn't anything within a paddle that you can patent or you know have something that you own because there are specific like guidelines on the size you know what you can use on the surface etc so um, most of those are pretty uh, basic things that no company can own outright and then i think the original one that probably um changed the brand the most was when we rebranded so a company sent us a cease and desist over our logo um and at the time it was either you know we can combat this and like take a head on or we can pivot and rebrand and then so in my mind i was thinking like i'm not in love with our logo anyways um let's use it and like at that time our paddle designs were horrible because I had just, I, when I first designed the paddles, I didn't think that it would blow up as it did. So I was just like, I didn't spend too much time on the design. I did it myself and it, people would email me and it's like, why is there Times New Roman going down the side? So, and then I was like, you know what, that's it. So I'm rebranding, like I'm redesigning our paddles completely. Um, after that, I hired someone, I contracted someone who has a master's degree in product design. And then so he came up with what you see today on our paddles. And I think it's just um, looking back, it's just one small challenge that kind of made us better, you know. So everything improved after that. People love the way our new paddles look. I'm very happy with the new logo. Um, it has a very nice, like, you know, fading pattern on our paddles. It looks great. So that's pretty much how I approach um, all the legal challenges. Like some, some of them you can use as an opportunity to further your business and others you just ignore. It's a good way to look at it. Uh, whoever that company was that uh, put a legal or put a lawsuit over the logo, we can uh, thank them and do a shout out for them because the new design, yeah. whoever did that new design, that product design, it lo <laughs> looks great. It's clean and it's <laughs> distinctive when you're like on the court too. Yeah, definitely. Um, even though like a lot of the paddles are starting to trend towards all black and like a small logo, kind of like a minimal design, still yeah it looks great i can't think of really any other brands that use that strong orange color yeah um i think the orange is a great color for us um it's almost synonymous with the brand at this moment 
Um, I think it looks great on black, so I'm glad that we chose that as like our original brand color and stuck with it. Yeah, it looks clean. It's great contrast. What have been some of your biggest challenges so far with the business? <clears throat> yeah, so I mean, every day there's new challenges. Um, I would say the main recurring challenge that I face is probably um, making the customers like as happy as possible because when you're running a consumer-based business in America, like the customer is king, you know? Um, you have to take all of their concerns very seriously. And so um, I pretty much, I'm reading every email that gets sent to the company. Like we have several emails. Like I, I'm the only one reading and responding to every email. So if I'm the sole point of contact and I like try my best to resolve every issue in like the most amicable way. So that customers, you know, leave satisfied and want to refer us still to their friends. I mean, the most obvious challenge besides that is delamination, right? So... Um, I'm sure that's something that's been talked about like daily. Um, for us, we're one of the paddles that are like at the center of attention regarding that because we were one of the first ones to use thermoforming. That's been something that I'm focused on like on a daily basis. We're speaking with the factory, like going over solutions. Um, and by the way, uh, delamination like itself, the actual word or the core coming away from the surface has actually been fixed. So um chris olson's been um showing people that that what you see when you think of delamination is actually the surface or the honeycomb becoming brittle um near the sweet spot from hitting the ball so um i don't think delamination is going to be the right word moving forward but that's um the main issue that we're focused on right now so are you saying the delamination that people are associating with now which is people are saying it's the core coming apart from the surface is being misused and the actual term is really just the honeycomb core becoming brittle yeah so um prior to our new glue fix um it was kind of a combination of the two where either could happen um but in our new batches with our new designs we've changed um the sheets of glue that we use to bond the surface and the honeycomb and that pretty much alleviated um, pretty much 100% of delamination issues. So what we see now is um, kind of a crushing of the, of the core of the honeycomb, which is something that's been around in like heated paddles for quite some time. Um, when it's molded under like very high heat, um, the PP that the honey or that the pickleball industry uses is not like extremely high quality. Um, if you don't heat it up, it won't ever break. But under like several hours of intensive heat, this top surface layer becomes slightly brittle because, for example, when they're cutting a 16 millimeter paddle, it's the PP is not cut perfectly into 16 millimeters. Sometimes it's like 16.1 millimeters or 16.2. And what happens is when you compress it, the top like 0.2 millimeters um, becomes very brittle. And then so over months of play that surface kind of begins to deteriorate and it has a sort of bouncing effect which is what leads to um, the balls approaching very fast and that's only present in thermoform paddles because of the surface tension that we create so um, that's what leads to the very fast ball velocity and there's several um, methods that we've been looking at to implement a fix um, i think we should have one in the near future but yeah, that's been one of our main focuses at the moment. What's PP? Um, PP is just the polymer, the honeycomb polymer. If you don't mind me asking, how old are you? Yeah, I'm 25. 
you're definitely the youngest guest I've had on the podcast so far. What are your thoughts on that experience as far as being a founder by 25? And, you know, you've had for, I would say it's been a non-linear trajectory as mm -hmm. far as your growth and popularity and your understanding of the market and not just the market, but customers too. Yeah. How's that experience been? Yeah, so um, I think I'm very uh, lucky to be able to have success, like success at a young age. Um, there's a lot of reasons, like the team that I have around me, support from my parents. Um, but as a young founder, I don't think age necessarily correlates to you know you being able to build a business at all. Like, sure, experience helps, um, but I think the best experience that you can gain is actually by doing. So everything that I learned with regards to starting a business, I've learned either through failure or just doing it myself. Um, kind of reading on how other people do it sometimes, but uh, I think doing it really helped me get to this level. Um, I'm kind of one of those people that like, if you lecture me on how to do something, like it'll just go through one ear and out the other. So that's kind of how I am. Like my parents always said that. And then uh, if I learn, like if I actually have a mistake myself, then it, like it really like sticks to the heart. And then I learn from that and kind of grow from that. I don't think that's how everyone approaches things. Um, there's a lot of challenges that you face as a young business owner, whether it's like perception or like not having the security that you like your friends have. You know, all my friends are typically in very secure corporate jobs. Um, and then so it's how you deal with like the valleys and the challenges that really kind of make you out to be someone that can be successful later on. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, risk is probably one of like the scariest things for some people, but also the most rewarding. It's like what makes being a human incredibly rewarding. And like, yeah, I, I just resonate with that sentiment, just having a lot of friends who are doing corporate gigs and there's nothing wrong with that is especially given the context of some people's lives, you know, they need that kind of security. If they have like a family and bills, I'm just a single guy. So I don't have mm -hmm. like a lot of that stuff to be concerned about, but um, it, it it's great that at 25 you're taking that risk. There's a lot of people who, you know, like shy away from it. And there's also the danger <laughs> of, looking at other people's success and wanting to take the expedient and the quick route without putting mm -hmm. in the work. And it seems yeah. like, I mean, the fact that you talked about going out to the manufacturers and meeting them and understanding what it's like to be on that, the ground level um, and being able to see the process and understanding the process is huge. Yeah. Um, I don't think that most people realize like it's very easy to judge, judge success from like um, from the outside so when you're really like in the middle of building a business, like people don't see the amount of work that you're doing. So just for example, like I have to manage everything in my business. I'm on call like 24 seven, like seven days a week. I don't, I haven't taken a day off since I started this company. Um, like I know every paddle that every pro player uses. I know like what's going on with the industry at all times. I'm like always on social media, seeing updates. Um, I know what's going on with the manufacturer. I speak to them daily. You know, I know what's going on with my customers. I know what the, the pressing issues are with my company. Um, I know like as soon as a batch has an issue, like I know as soon as I get emails. So then I have to work on a fix. I have to do the social media. Um, I don't have a social media person. I do everything myself. I respond to all the emails. 
Um, I created the website by myself, um, set up the Amazon store, you know, manage all the wholesale accounts. It's a pretty intense grind that most people don't realize. Once you're kind of in it though, and you're in a schedule, you kind of know what to do and you can become efficient. But I think that's the biggest, you know, hurdle that people have. Um, a lot of people are encouraged to start a business, which I think is great, but to put in the work is another story for sure. Why haven't you outsourced some of these more uh, arguably menial tasks? Yeah. So I think, um, I have the time, like I'm willing to make the time. And if you want something done well, you definitely have to do it yourself. Um, it's maybe I'm just not a very trusting person and I like doing things myself. But another part of it is that I'm very capable of doing a good job on these things. I think it makes a big difference. For example, I could easily outsource my customer service. But if you're a customer and you email a company about even a small issue and the founder responds to you, I think that leaves a very positive impression. So just small things like that, I think, have all played into the success of the business and kind of what sets us apart from other companies. You know, I'm always responding to emails as fast as possible. Like I don't, you know, put them on the back burner. It's just like everything is a pressing issue. Like obviously I prioritize, but like some things, you know, you just got to do it yourself. Yeah, I'm experiencing that myself now. It's tough. I totally understand what you mean, like the trust part. And also when you build something, you have a specific vision for it and you want things yeah. to look and also feel a certain way. Like when it, the way you respond is an, is essentially your brand and people associate how you respond with your brand. And it like, I totally agree on getting, receiving an email from a founder is much more, it means much more to me than if it's someone that's outsourced or just another person. There's just not the same level of care. But I also have now started to understand how much like time it really does take. If you like mm -hmm. count up emails and social media and all these like notifications you receive, say you receive probably like, honestly, like 500 in a day, yeah. somewhere around there between messages mm -hmm. and emails, then you say they estimate to take about like two minutes each. Yeah. I was always terrible at math, so I can't give you the number, but if you calculate it out, that's a significant amount of hours throughout the day. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, but I do appreciate and I'm sure a lot of other people listening do appreciate that they know that they're talking directly to you. It's not someone that's outsourced and is disconnected from the inner workings of like the business and someone I can mm -hmm. develop a relationship with. You also make a great point. Like if there's going to be like um, basically if the company like knock on wood like falls apart, then I would rather it fall on my shoulders than just because I was too lazy to like do emails and I wanted to hire someone and that led to like the demise, I would much rather it, you know, just be my responsibility. It's very admirable. Um, it's such a tough decision to make these days because I've had that talk with some people and they're like, you should outsource some of this. It would free up a lot of time for you to think about things and mm -hmm. to be able to like come up with ideas. And I'm just like, they're not going to do it the way that I do it. And eventually you do have to, it, it will take time and that person can adopt your style and all that, all that stuff. But yeah, I don't know. Like it, to me, it's just, there's a certain feeling of working hard to create the outcome that you, that your desired outcome. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think the day will come very soon where I um, have too much things to do where I need to delegate more. Um, but for now, I think I'm happy with what I'm doing. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, mm -hmm. And when did, when would you say it was like, 
the month and year that Vatic was Vatic Pro was incepted? Yeah, so we were. Um, I pretty much made the logo on the website September of 2022, um, which is pretty recent. I'm actually a pretty like new pickleball player. I didn't start playing until August 2022, which is like a lot later than most people, and especially most founders. Um, but um, as soon as I started playing, I'm like, you know, something needs to change. I was I went to the local shop to buy a paddle, and there's like it's two hundred and thirty dollars. I'm like, I'm good, man. Like I want to I want to play, but I don't want to spend that much on something, you know. Especially it was recreation at the time. If you asked me now, I'd probably buy it in a heartbeat. But um, yeah, so after I started playing, I started the business two months later. Um, I kind of have the mentality, you know, I don't have a second to waste in anything that I do. I always do everything in a hurry, like maybe to a fault, but that's kind of the approach that I had when starting my business. Yeah. I, man, it's funny. I resonate with that too. I just like to do it like quickly and fail fast. You know, it's a common, very common entrepreneurial phrase and saying, but on the topic of like growing your team eventually and delegating these responsibilities, what would you look for in individuals that you bring on to your team yeah so um i want individuals that kind of share my vision and my goals um which is something that i have with my dad right now and obviously that's led to a very successful partnership um i think the biggest problem with um hiring employees is that more often than not if you hire someone on a salary they are not going to be invested in the company to you know put their best foot forward which is something that you know i'm fine with I think I will resort to hiring people um, just for tasks that aren't super important. You know, I'm not going to hire someone to, you know, develop products for me anytime soon. You know, it's more of the um, more of the boring tasks, um, to put it bluntly. So um, I'll have to think more about it. Um, maybe like a student, you know, who is very eager to learn because there's so much to learn in this industry or any industry, especially because it's growing so rapidly. Um, there's new changes, new information every day. And I think that's very valuable. Um, so someone who wants to learn and who isn't afraid to, you know, give their opinion and um, do all that stuff. Not afraid to give your opinion is such an important skill set to have. It's so easy to get stuck in like people pleasing and giving people the answer that you think that they want to hear. And I'm just speaking from that, from like personal experience. Um, but I think when you're an yeah. entrepreneurial, when you're an entrepreneur, it helps kind of break that habit. Um, you spoke about vision and goal. What is the vision and goal for Vatic Pro? Yeah, my vision, my vision is the same as before. It's to change the pickleball industry and how we perceive the price quality ratio of paddles as a whole. Um, so whether it not be like our success later on, but maybe five years from now, people will no longer have to spend, you know, over a hundred dollars for the best paddle that people have to offer kind of like in tennis, um, what that has become, um, it's probably going to be, you know, a conglomerate that takes over that mission later on. But for now, I think I've made a very, very small dent in this industry, you know, which is part of my goal. Um, I think people are very happy to um, be able to have this option of our paddles where they don't have to spend over $150 for something that performs at the, like, the highest level possible. Um, that's my goal, and um, pretty much I'm just working towards that and seeing um, 
how I can disrupt this industry because if you don't do anything different than like what others were already doing, then there's no point in, you know, even starting a business. 100% man. And I admire that that is the way that you want to uh, disrupt the industry and just cause a change because like you said before, right? Like there's tons of communities of people who can't get into the sport or at least at a memorable experience. I don't think that getting a $30 paddle creates a memorable experience right yeah. there. Um, and we have an opportunity for all these people who are so excited to join and just participate in this sport and just getting started. And if you're handing them this like $30 paddle that you're just like, this isn't the way to go about it. Um, what excites you about pickleball right now and like where it's headed? Yeah. So I think pickleball is exciting, like all around either, whether it's the professional side or even the recreational side. Um, like there was this number that I saw this morning on the number of courts built since last year. It's like more than doubled. So just being having something that people can do recreationally, like, for example, my dad, um, before he found pickleball, he was kind of dealing with like, you know, didn't really know what to do with himself. He was retired, you know, had nothing to do in this community. Like all his friends are abroad. Um, but since he's found pickleball, he's found like a huge spark of joy in his life. Um, I think a lot of people can resonate with that and share similar experiences, like the people that you meet, you know, the experiences that you have, whether it's competing or just playing at night with your friends. I think that's pretty much what the future of pickleball is all about. It's more, I don't know if it will ever be at the highest competitive level, like in the Olympics or anything, but I think as a social recreational sport, there is a huge need for something like pickleball, um, something that's easy to play, easy to learn. I think there's a huge market for that and that's where it's headed. Um, I hope that it heads towards a more competitive direction as well. Like obviously simultaneously, like both those avenues would be great, but um, that's just my perception as of right now. Given all that, what do you think keeps the sport back? Yeah. So I think um, I don't, I don't want to go too into details, but I think the um, lack of like quality or not, quality control but like the regulations kind of hold it back there is a lot of arbitrary things about like what defines a legal paddle you know there's a lot of talk about that um whether it's the paddle or the ball like at what point does the sport like become too dangerous you know um there are paddles out there that are legitimately dangerous to play with um like a delaminated paddle would count as one of those but like you know for example Something that people imagine would be better for the sport is EVA foam, but like at its core for pickleball, it's not safe to play with, you know, like people don't want to have to wear safety goggles to play the sport. Like people just want to play um, regularly and then finding a balance between like equipment technology and like safety is a big concern right now. Um, I, I also think there's a lot of room to grow in the pro scene. Um, like I watch every pickleball tournament or every PPA tournament. And then the fact that at a professional tour, there's like not um, good enough cameras for a replay system, like calling your own lines, it just comes off as very rudimentary. Um, obviously, I know they're working to fix it, but for now, I think um, it kind of lowers a lot of people's viewing experience in some way. I know that is how it is for me. I, I can't speak for everyone, but I'm sure like if you had the quality of like, replay and like nfl challenges or like nba challenges like that would be so much more cool to watch you know pickleball at that level 
Um, so I hope that they're working towards that. But for now, I think that's limiting the growth of the sport. Um, everyone's still trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. So um, we're all trying to build a sport together. But right now, there's um, a lot of things that we can improve on. The PPA this past weekend, they did a lot of great things, obviously, with that like press conference like mm-hmm. vibe and look. That's very cool to see. But then when you watch the grandstand court, you're like, why is the audio not work? And why is the camera quality different from the championship court? And I don't know if it's the lighting, but yeah. it looked just incredibly unprofessional. <laughs> and then, you, like like you said, the line calls, you're like, why are they using like a CCTV camera to <laughs> yeah. like capture these line calls? Like if I had an iPhone, it could mm-hmm. capture this much better. It, it doesn't make any sense to yeah. me. Yeah, I'm like... If you look at the video interviews that they had, like those cameras were very clear. I'm like, just take the camera from the video interview after a match and move it to center court, and we might be able to like catch some balls on the line. You know, it's just um, it's a work in progress. I'm sure I'm not gonna bash PPA. They're like they're doing amazing things. Like it was on ESPN this weekend. We had Jack Sox, so I think that's amazing for the sport. Just kind of looking back on your own life, you've gone through a lot of different things you've been raised by great parents and you've talked about how you've had a great experience what regrets do you have so far yeah um my regrets probably i'm not a person with great regrets you know um i kind of i don't really look back and like i should have did this or i should have done that but um i wish i would have tried a little harder during university like you know really gotten out there like done more clubs or whatnot because Um, I think that was part of the reason that like I was almost forced to do an entrepreneurial route because I didn't really apply myself in the generic sense. Um, I think if I would have done that more, I would have had more options in terms of my career, like whether it be getting some like very valid corporate experience at like a large investment bank for several years and then transitioning to like entrepreneurial experience and having that experience in a more like whole sense rather than kind of having to do entrepreneurship um, because I have no other options really. Um, but I think maybe that hunger, like that desperation is what led to my success in a way. Um, so you can look at all of these failures with a grain of salt and like that all led me to where I am today. Like I knew that if this doesn't succeed, my original company, ED Max, like I don't really have a plan B. So I'm putting forth all my effort into that and then all my effort into this pickleball thing. So. I know that kind of in the back of my head, like failure is not really an option. Yeah. When you have your back against the wall, it produces something different. I, I don't know what the chemicals that happen within your brain, yeah. but something definitely does happen. You know, like courage just steps up to the plate. But on that topic, you know, there's a lot of young folks that have trouble finding their purpose in life. Not even young. I, a few years ago, I had that problem. I, I've struggled with it quite a bit Mm -hmm. what advice would you give to someone who is struggling to find their passion or purpose in life yeah so um i think the best advice that i would give is to get out of your comfort zone so for example if you're doing the same things every day and never trying new things like you're obviously not going to find something that you're passionate about if you're not passionate about any of those things at the moment so the best way you can either try like one new thing a day like Try a new sport, you know, like learn a new language. Um, basically go out and see the world. I'm a big believer in like this world has a lot to offer, you know. Um, I think if you can't find something that you're passionate about in this, like 
in current society, then it's almost on you for not exploring it enough because there's something out there for all of us. And everyone has talents in their own way. You know, everyone's good at something. Um, it could be anything. So I think getting out of your comfort zone and taking the first step towards finding something is key. Like you're not going to find something if you don't bother to look, right? So I think that's something that people should take away if they're struggling with um, kind of finding what they want to do. Yeah, that's a great point, man. There's a lot of people watching and very few people looking. Yeah. The way you look at the world seems... I don't know if this is the right word, but optimistic. And you see a lot of things as opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, what do you fear? Yeah, so um, I kind of fear not really, um, in a personal sense, I fear not reaching my full potential. You know, I know what I'm capable of. Like, let's take Vedic Pro as an example. Like, I know what this company and this industry is capable of. So if something like, you know, in my control that like gets... If, whether it's a mistake, you know, I'm fearful of whether that will, you know, tarnish all the work that we've done. Um, that's pretty much it. There's not too much that I'm worried about. I don't think that's a good approach. Um, if you're scared of something, um, then you're obviously not going to want to try. I think trying something, even if failure is right in front of you, I think that's a better way to do it. Why is that? Why is a company failing component of your fear if you've had success with like Eddie Max and even just launching a successful brand in like eight months, 10 months? Yeah, um, I guess really it's because um, I kind of treat this company as like my baby, like my very successful, not very successful, but like headed in the right direction, you know? So I think everything that we've been doing is like very calculated and we have a very um, good approach. So I think like just you don't want to look back in five years and be like, you know, we had such a good thing going on, but because of X, Y, Z, it all fell apart. Like it could have been easily avoided. Um, that's never something that you want to run into in your business or even in your life. Like, oh, I should have did this. You know, um, I don't think I really operate with that mindset, but it is definitely the fear that keeps me, you know, doing things well, like the fear of failure, like should motivate you to like be very precise with how you operate day to day. Who or what do you do it for? Honestly, um, I do it for everyone who's believed in the brand. Um, something very early on that I started was the ambassador program, um, which is one of the things that I'm very proud of. Um, we've amassed um, a very large number of ambassadors over like pretty much every state and different continents as well. And they're all people who know like, are supporters of the brand you know they took time out of their day to want to apply as an ambassador and they take time out of the day to tell other people about it, whether it's this paddle or this brand or you know the founder i think those people um are equally as invested in the company as myself so i think of them all as members of my team and all my pro players you know they believed in me um, even when I didn't have a lot to offer, this was in the early days. I'm working pretty much for all of them. You know, I want them to be proud of the brand that they represent. And I want them to like be optimistic about what we can accomplish in the future rather than like looking at it in a negative light. Shout out Spencer Smith. I don't know all the other pros but that are under Vatic Pro, but uh, I've always liked watching Spencer Smith play. It's cool to see him rock in Vatic. He has some sweet like apparel too. I forgot what he was rocking. But yeah. It was like a yeah. The, the Spencer story is probably like one of the um, basically like perfect opportunities meet stories that um, I had. 
um, this was only like a month after I started the company. Like we just barely had paddles in. And then I was looking for people to kind of, you know, work with us as a sponsor, whatever they wanted. Um, so I DM different pro players on Instagram. I probably DM like over 50. And then um, Spencer happened to like get back to me and he wanted to have a Zoom call. So then um, that's pretty much how it all started. We had a pretty good chat. I told him like what my vision was for this brand and then how he fit into that role. And um, so far everything has gone gone well. You know, I remember like there were pros that I would DM. I'm like, can I please send you a paddle? Like just so you can try. And they would be like, no. I'm like, dang, you know, like looking how far we've come from that where people didn't want to, you know, even use our equipment because they had no, I'm sure they get a lot of messages and whatnot. Uh, but looking back at how far we've come till now where people are constantly asking, um, you know, even pro players. So I think that's very good. I'm very thankful that we've signed Spencer. It was a very, um, he's a, just a great overall guy as well as a great player. Like I've never heard a single bad thing about Spencer or like, and he just plays, you know, he plays hard. He's very passionate about pickleball. He, you can't really measure, you know, his impact on helping the brand grow. Um, it's kind of something that's like unquantifiable because like as a pro player, he kind of helped us get on the map in that scene. He's a very reserved guy, but like after he started playing with our paddles, at least every PPA tour player knew about Matic because they're like, oh, that's what Spencer is using. So I think that helped us gain respect in some regard to in the pro scene. And then after that, um, like the general masses followed. Yeah, I appreciated about that about him is that he's low key, but mm -hmm. he like he he does his thing. Um, that's that's awesome though, man. Like it's it is nice to have that in your back pocket as like that's like a memory that I'll always have an experience. No grudges need to be holded, and this doesn't yeah. need to be applied to the future. But it's just like I can always look back on that. Like you can always look back on that moment and be like, at one point we were here. And now we're here. And sometimes that's just a beautiful thing to look back on. Um, yeah, definitely. It's it's a very um, good thing to have, you know, to see how far we've come. It gives you a lot of perspective, you know, on how it's only been, you know, like eight months since I've started, which is in most businesses, like a very short period of time. But everything, you know, in Pickleball changes very quickly. So um, I'm very proud of that. It's awesome. Is there anything I haven't asked you about that you'd like to talk about? Yeah. So there's actually one thing um, that I want to talk about regarding like um, the technology with pickleball paddles. I think there's a very common misconception, not misconception, but like somehow it has become the industry standard where all pickleball paddles last forever or like at least one year. That's more of a testament to like how rudimentary like the technology was before. Like if you have a, if you have a sheet of PP that's, not altered in any regard and you slap two pieces of fiberglass graphite or carbon fiber around it like there is no reason that it shouldn't last right but if you look at any sport or, or most industries like the degradation of a product like how fast it degrades is directly correlated with the amount of technology that is offered within that good right for example like you're gonna if you have a ferrari you're gonna be taking it to get service far more than if you have a camry and then uh, especially with my background in swimming, I think that was a very big thing. Um, there in swimming, you buy tech suits like 
basically just for races. Um, and you can only wear them for about eight races before you, it's like obsolete, you know, it won't do you any good because of like the water resistance and how that works. Um, and those things are $500, you know, so you buy something in that industry, like $500, use it for like one or two meets and then you're tossing it. Um, so it's just all about perspective. And I think, um, people will slowly start to see how that, um, correlates to the pickball industry. Like, um, yes, we're working as hard as possible to like make our pals last as long as possible. But when you introduce a very new, like manufacturing tactic that involves very high heat and extremely high surface tension like i don't think it's reasonable to assume that it will last you know a year or whatnot i think um three to six months is optimal like or ideal based on how we manufacture them um but yeah so that's the way that the industry is changing and i think um uh, I'm hoping, you know, more people will start to see that as more technologies are introduced into the industry. Very interesting. So you're saying that the half-life of one of some of these like newer paddles is more like three to six months? Yeah. So I think that because, for example, like think of our paddles as almost like, you know, at the highest level, like a tournament paddle, you know, like you bust it out for a tournament if you want to perform at the highest level. Like obviously you want to practice with what you're using in a tournament. Um, but so, yeah, that's kind of the way that I see it. Um, I know that doesn't mean we're not working to fix it. You know, I'm working day and night to try to implement new core changes and, um, like different processes that don't damage the core as much. Um, but that's basically the gist of it. Yeah. The half-life. What would change or extend that duration? Yeah. So there's several options, um, one option is that you can use a smaller diameter honeycomb. So like right now, each honeycomb is eight millimeters in diameter. And then um, these are like the little octagon cells that you see on the on the PP. And then you could use, uh, for example, a six millimeter diameter honeycomb. It's just like the smaller units will provide more um, sturdiness. And then under high heats, it won't is less likely to break down. But the, there's downsides to that. Um, there's like it adds weight. That's a problem. It adds a few grams of weight. So we're implementing changes with that. Like I'm getting samples all the time that try to fix these issues like on a regular basis. Another um, fix that is possible is um, having more precise PP. Like the factory needs to, <clears throat> we're working with them to source like more precisely cut PP. So like I mentioned earlier, if it's like 16.1 or 16.2 millimeters in thickness, the top portion will kind of is more likely to be crumbled and those paddles might break down faster. So we're um, trying to increase the quality of the PP and so ensure that most of them are cut at 16 millimeters exactly. And there's very little give at the top. Um, I think that plays a large role into um, the cores breaking. Very interesting. Um, this probably ties into what you were just mentioning, but what can people expect next from Vatic Pro? I think you had mentioned earlier that there's like a new paddle that's going to be coming out too. Yeah. So we have two new series of paddles coming. Um, the, I'm going to be launching one probably at the end of this week. That's going to be the first one coming is Spencer's paddle. So um, this is his signature paddle. Like it's pretty much something that's never been seen in the, in the industry not never been seen, but it's very unique, especially in thermoform paddles. It's like the only thermoform paddle, like as it is. Um, 
And then after that, we're releasing another series of more affordable paddles. They're going to be under $100, and they're going to have foam-injected walls. So um, a foam paddle with uh, under $100 is unheard of right now. So that's going to be something that people really love in our existing two shapes. So if you, like, you're very concerned about delamination and you hit very hard and you don't need that extra power with thermoforming and your paddles are breaking down quicker than you might like. And I think that there's a huge market for people who want to just use a foam, pa- foam injected wall paddle with the raw carbon fiber surface. There's a huge market for that. And I think um, I'm very looking forward to that launch. It should be launching in like a few weeks and then it's going to be sent straight to Amazon. Damn, that's awesome. Um, why Amazon? Yeah, so... Um, Amazon, just because of the quantities, um, we're going to be sending them in pretty large quantities. And then um, because I have to, we pack all our orders here, you know, so at a certain point, it's difficult to pack so many paddles each day and deliver them to the post office and whatnot. Um, It's just for logistics. And then um, people love shopping on Amazon. Like I'm one of those people that before I I would much rather buy anything on Amazon way before I even go on someone's website. You know, I just type in like carbon fiber pickleball paddle. Like I'm not going to do research on like all the best brands or when I just buy it on Amazon. So um, it will be on our website as well. I think um, a little bit afterwards just to gauge the markets and then we'll go from there. Hell yeah. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to that. Uh, Spencer's paddle, especially that's going to be badass. And then these uh, foam paddles too. Super cool. Um, also cool that you're breaking your way into that price point, given the type of product that you're going to be delivering. Um, man, I appreciate your time. I'm so grateful that you're willing to talk on behalf of your brand and company and giving me the opportunity to do this as, as one of your first interviews, where can people find more information about you? And if you have any other shout outs, yeah, so um, if you want to reach me, you can email me or just go on our website, the email at the bottom, or DM me on Instagram. Those are the best way to reach me. I usually respond very quickly if you want to get in touch about anything, whether it's like sponsorships, questions about paddles. Um, I just want to probably give a shout out to my pro team. Like, thanks for sticking with me. A lot of um, they've been integral and, in, you know, building the brand image into what it is now. And I also want to say thanks to you, man, for inviting me on this podcast. I want to give you a congrats on, you know, the views that you've been getting lately. It's been awesome to see and uh, hopefully more to come. And hopefully this does well and views as well. I'll do everything I can to make sure this thing pops off, man. (laughs) All right. Yeah. Thanks so much. It's been a great experience and um, I'm definitely looking to do more interviews after this. It would be awesome. Yeah. Hopefully we can do a follow up uh, once like the new releases come out. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it, man.